Horsing Around in mid-May. This is the pre-OTA edition of Horsing Around. I'm Andrew Mason, joined by Andy Lindahl of Orange and Blue 760. If you tune in to Orange and Blue 760 anytime from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. on weekdays, you can hear one of us. Sometimes both of us. That's true. When I come in and there's a little crosstalk. When are you coming in again? That's a good question. We keep getting stuck with Ryan. What's the deal? Are you mad at us? No, I'm not mad. I had a couple of appointments this week that I had to take care of early in the day. And uh, Mondays are always out because there is a, uh, a dot-com staff meeting at 9. Look, here's the deal. We gave you homework, and you seem like a guy to me that was always very prompt. Yes. Always had it in on time. Got good grades on his homework. I still don't have my homework tuned in, turned in. The perfect game equivalent. Football to baseball. You still haven't given this I'm to still us. working on that. The supercomputer slow down? What's going on there? Well, I think I sailed on something with a shutout with four uh, first downs. For the perfect game? Or for the no-hitter? Yeah, the for per- the no-hitter. We the got that answer game. last week. The perfect game's much tougher. For a defense or just a team in general? The team, it, just like baseball. Whatever the, whatever the equivalent of the baseball version is, is what we need from you. You can take more time. You win by 50 in a shutout. Okay. Has that ever 50 happened? 50 plus. <laughs> I know the Browns beat the Steelers 51 nothing really? in week one of 1989. Well, one of the reasons I know that is because John Fox would occasionally refer to it if a team had a slow start. Fox was on that Steelers staff working under Chuck Knoll, and the Steelers lose the first two games of that season by a score of 92 to 10 combined. They lose to Cleveland at home and I believe Cincinnati on the road in week two. And they end up going 9-5 and five the rest of the way, making the playoffs. I think if you read Chuck Knoll's biography by Michael McCambridge, which is an excellent book, there's a story in there of how after those two losses, Chuck Knoll brings the team in and you know he doesn't give them a rah-rah speech. Instead, he tells them about everything that goes into keeping a pool in proper chemical balance. You have to mix the, mix the pH, the chlorine, this and that. And the players are like, where is this story going? <laughs> and then he gets to the end and says, the thing I'm trying to tell you is don't let anyone piss in your pool. <laughs> and that set the season straight. That turned it around. <laughs> you never know what's going to write the ship. But, yeah, that was the experience that Foxy would always cite if his team had a slow start. Say, you know what, you know, Pittsburgh – 89, his, my first year in the NFL, got turned around. They uh, went from 0-2 and losing both games in blowout fashion to not only getting in the playoffs but winning in the playoffs at Houston and then pushing the Broncos to the brink in the divisional round before That's uh, right with the, Bobby Brister. The, the shotgun snapped to Bobby Brister. They couldn't quit showing his mom that day in the stands. It was driving us all nuts. <laughs> because, you know, at that time, we're not rooting for Bubby, of course. Yeah. We didn't know he'd be a Bronco, Bronco later on in a future life of his. Let me throw one more off you because I know you have an agenda. And then I've got an important question when you're wrapped up. But James Gomez, our producer, mm-hmm. admitted to rooting against the Rockies, his alleged hometown team, because he wanted to see the perfect game for San Diego. Now, he did not check in at first pitch. I think there is some forgiveness to be had if you've been watching the whole game and you're about to witness start to finish a perfect game. But that was not the case for James. He got an alert, checked in late, and just wanted to see history made. I say if it's happening against your team, you never root for the history to be made against your team. Well, first what of all, say you? I'll say this. I mean, he had Jordan Lyles, former Rocky. 
Yeah, which I think makes but it that even worse. Well, no, but that also would have been some rationale. Hey, I rooted for Jordan Lyles. I like him. Good for him. But I'll give you an example. I remember when Randy Johnson got a perfect game in the Braves, and I, of course, am a big Braves fan. This was back in 04. And, yeah, it's historical, but I remember, like, looking at the crowd standing up and cheering him like, no, it's about to, he's about to throw a perfecto on our team here. No. <laughs> See, and they did that to Baldo Menace. They, they gave him a standing O when yes, he no-hit the Braves. I guess it's that southern hospitality thing. Yeah, what, what is wrong with you guys? That's know. not right, is it? That's a faux pas, is it not? Well, I think it's like, oh, you know, tip your cap, respect, all this, all that. No, no, blah, no, blah, no, blah, no. Blah. Stop at the sportsmanship crap. You're mad as a fan. I don't want you. You know what? I was rooting for the Niners to pour it on the Chargers in the Super Bowl in 94 just so they could wipe the Broncos off the books. Yeah. Wipe it all away. Wipe every offensive record away. Put it against the Chargers. Don't keep it on us. The other thing about Ubaldo, about that, that was the no-hitter that snuck up on everybody because he was the effectively wild picture for the first five or six innings. He's walking guys. And then I remember being there and looking up, and I'm like, holy crap, he's got a no-no coin. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize it until I I looked at the scoreboard in the sixth inning. I'm like, oh, there's a zero there. Hmm. Because the Braves had base runners on inning after inning to start the game. And Ubaldo kept throwing his way out of trouble. Didn't, wasn't there like a ridiculous catch in center field that kept that thing alive too? Yes. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. There who always made is. It. There always is a great defensive play in just about every no hitter. And yeah, the the perfecto. Actually, my friend Charlie Felix, who works for AT and T Sportsnet, and uh, he's the guy behind the camera for a lot of the stuff uh, at Rockies games that you see. He texts me during the game. He's like, "Well, I've seen two no nos, but never a perfecto. Maybe today." And then like. Two minutes later, it's broken up. And he's like, oh, so he was the one. He was the whammy. You know, I did yeah. that one time to Chad Bettis. I didn't even say perfect game going. I simply said, you may want to check out what the Rockies are doing. And immediately the hit was given up. Now, let me ask you this. Is it we're in sports broadcasting? You asking about the whammy? It's not our responsibility to uphold that superstition. Okay. You have to tell the story of what's going on. And the story of what's going if on. you're broadcasting includes, the game, yes. Includes saying it's a no-hitter. If I'm sitting at home on Twitter, I don't have to mention, I don't have to draw attention right. to it. Right, but I guess uh, some people were giving Don Orsillo and Mark Grant, the TV announced team for the Padres, and Ted Leitner, who is their radio play-by-play guy, people were giving them grief on social media because they were mentioning the no-hitter on their broadcasts. Yeah, it gets a little ridiculous. I've been victim of it in the past. You just kind of laugh it off and roll with it. I admitted to Bettis. I had Bettis on my KOA program the night after he lost his not only his perfect game, but then a no-hitter in Philly mm-hmm. a couple months or a couple innings later, and it got out with a one-hitter. Still a great performance. And so I told Chad, I said, I'll wear this one. I tweeted it out, and then the hit immediately came, and he just laughed. I mean, the players don't care. You know, I guess every now and again you may find one guy too intense or looking to grind something with the media that'll bring it up. But for the most part, it is what it is. You're right. It's not our job. But at the same time, it's kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, you got to understand, I come from lacrosse background, as you well know, yeah. and we don't talk to goalies during shutouts because especially in lacrosse, they're very rare. So you just shut up and go about your job. And that's kind of the hockey thing too. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like, don't, you know, just leave it alone. Don't bring it up. Well, now, 
you hear the announcer jinx in any sport. For example, you're working a game and uh, say Brandon McManus comes out there. Oh, he's hit 15 straight kicks and then the next one goes wide right. Do you th- ever think about that? Because I, I don't. Again, it's part, part of the I have had story. it pop into my mind during but a game. But I've had yes. people say, like I've tweeted out something during a game. And then that a positive stat like that, and then it ends up blowing up in my face, and people are like, "See, your fault." See, I, well, you have to. You, I think you remember. Many people don't know because, unfortunately, it just wasn't a very popular broadcast. I did TV for the Mammoth, and so there are a lot of times I got to know uh, their goalie very well, Dylan Ward, who plays for Team Canada, no less. And I just know Dylan was a superstitious guy, and and you know it's a small enough league; they have to watch the TV copy. You know what right. I mean? There's no there's no coaches tape without us yapping about it on there. So, you know, you're kind of mindful that the players are going to hear what you have to say and you go about your job. And you got to call the game. I figured what's great about it. It's a game. It's on tape. Uh, it's hard to be too unfair when it's on tape right there. But I don't think Dylan liked us talking about, you know, goal is streaks or anything like that. So I tried not to bring it up. Josh Gross, on the other hand, was better. I now I never failed to miss an opportunity to point out that Josh jinxed him. <laughs> I tried not to bring it up. Hey, not on me. Yeah, the other guy. That's your – you work for the franchise. That's your deal. Well, back to football. Sure. <laughs> Baseball, lacrosse, we're all over the place. But next week, it is a significant week in the off season. Some weeks, yeah, there's not a lot going on. But this coming week, it's the first week of OTAs. It's the first chance the Broncos offense can go against the Broncos defense this off season, and vice versa. The first chance for Case Keenum to go against the Broncos defense. First chance to see how Paxton Lynch and Chad Kelly look in this battle for the number two position. What do you expect to see as far as players who might emerge? Because there's always a couple of guys that have us talking in OTAs. What players do you expect to see doing something that has us saying, hmm, interesting. You know what, see, it is fun. Andrew, you and I look forward to this because finally we get a digest some ball right instead of well it might look like this it might look like that we're gonna find out because we'll find out even in otas you know this the coaches will tell you hey don't pay any attention to this or the depth chart or the rotation or whatever we're just seeing what these guys can do that's another john foxism right but last year max garcia was doing poorly at left guard and they moved him to right right there's always something to be gleaned from these workouts now it is a little bit tougher because i was talking to tyler about this earlier and tyler columbus my partner on the radio earlier in the week where I feel like there was a little more contact even during OTAs than what we're used to now. Not blow them up hitting, but I feel like even under Fox, you used to get a little bit more, more of that thud, what they call it, thud tempo, where you're allowed to at least hit and wrap. Yeah. Don't bring them to the ground by any stretch, but hit and wrap a little bit. So it was a little more physical. We got a little bit better feel for who could get off the line, who could really create separation. This thing has become such a don't touch them, it feels like, exercise that sometimes I'm not sure what's reality and what isn't. But what I'm excited to watch, how does Chad Kelly throw the football, which he's become one of the popular names here in town? How is Jake Butt doing getting in and out of routes? Is he fluid moving around? How's Jeff Hireman going to take the challenge? And you know who I'm going to watch the most outside of Case Keenum, which is the easy answer? I'm going to watch Paxton Lynch for this reason. For all those that saw the tweets, and I'll admit I was among them because I was doing family stuff last weekend, like we tend to do this time of year, all the tweets about the Vance Joseph, he can relax comment that wanted to know what Vance was talking about. Well, to me, 
Vance talked an awful lot about having an established starter. And if I'm Paxton Lynch, I'm really looking to come out and show what I can do and let you know that maybe your starter isn't. To me, I want to see, are you getting the message? Because to me, Andrew, I think a message is being sent that, you know what, let's crank it up a bit. Let's see what you can do. Granted, you don't have the pressure of being a starter, but I wouldn't. I would love to see, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a Paxton Lynch that is more fiery, uh, maybe just something different than what we've seen in the past. Because I think Chad Kelly's coming for it, and I want to see how Paxton Lynch is going to match it. He's been kind of quiet this off season. I can't wait to see what he shows us on the field, and is he going to make a challenge for this thing? Well, we know just from college that Chad Kelly has a fiery personality, and uh, we know that he's going to try to prove that. He at least belongs on this roster. For Paxton Lynch, I think it's proving that, hey, if something happens to Case Keenum, I can do this. I'm your guy. I'm ready. I'm your, I'm your man. I can step up, and I can run this team. Because for Paxton Lynch, that is the first step to becoming a starter. If something happens to Case Keenum, let's say he has to play a couple of games, three games, four games, what he does in that window will probably determine his future. I mean, I'll just give you an example Brett Hundley comes in for Aaron Rodgers last year (laughs) Hundley isn't great for some reason he's pretty good on the road but he's awful at Lambeau Field which when you play half of your games there in a season is going to be a problem and now we're looking at a situation in Green Bay where they make a trade and bring in Deshaun Kaiser from Cleveland and Kaiser might take that number two job from Brett Hundley. So that's what I mean when I say if something happens to Case Keenum and Paxton Lynch is in position to run the team for a few games, he's got to show there that he's making progress, that he's better, that he's worthy of the role. Otherwise, he's going to be left in the dust. Yeah, so it's, you know what, I'm curious to see what kind of offseason he has. You know, because again, this is, I've said it a hundred times, we've criticized Paxton for sure. doesn't mean we're rooting against Paxton. I, I, when, when you don't have first round picks work out, it's not good for anybody. I don't care what the position is, but it's doubly important that you get it right at the quarterback. That's why it's so tough. That's why there's hand wringing over it. So I'm still hoping that something's there that, that, you know, had a number of teams, not just the Broncos, wanting him to be their first round pick. Um, so that'll be curious this offseason. I don't know about for you. You know what? I'll watch the secondary a little bit. I'm going to be curious to see what it looks like here. I, you know, I want to see Chris Harris. I want to see the young kid, Yadam. Um, Brendan Langley. Langley. Needs to step up. Roby. Marcus well, Rios. And then Tremaine Brock. You've brought him in to be the number three. I want to see. I want to see. Speaking of young guys, there's all sorts of redemption stories that can be told from last year. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to watch Demarcus Walker. I want to watch Carlos Henderson. I want to see if some of these guys can kind of show up and contribute from a draft class that largely was underwhelming and disappointing for the most part. Now, Jake Butt can change the narrative of that draft class. So by, can Chad Kelly. Yeah, so good point. So can Chad Kelly. But right now, there's a lot of hope there, but nothing else. So we'll see. It's going to be, a fa- it's going to be as fascinating an offseason as we've seen. And, Andrew, I'm curious to see what does this offense look like? Does it have more of that West Coast maybe – Kubiak feel to it than what we saw a year ago because to me I feel I don't want to say it has to but it's got to be close to what Kubiak did I think that's why they wanted Case Keenum so bad 
Well, with Case Keenum, what's interesting is, of course, he doesn't just bring the ability to run a West Coast offense. He brings the ability to operate in spread-type stuff. He can work in the shotgun. You know, you can have uh, some zone read stuff. I wonder if you're going to incorporate some of that in. And we've seen how that can be a fixture of an offense with this sort of design, this sort of nomenclature. You You can go back to the cousin of this offense in Washington when Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan were running it. You know, they had RG3 there in 2012 and how successful that was. So there are things that you can do differently. It doesn't have to be the classic Kubiak offense. I think the definition of the Kubiak offense is evolving. I don't think it's what it was in 2005, for example. Or 2015, likely. Yes, with Peyton Manning there, who did not have mobility. Case Keenum has mobility. Case Keenum can do some things with his legs. He'll make good decisions in general, but he can get you 10 or 12 yards coming out of the pocket. He can execute some zone read type stuff. Tell me this. What do you think, because we're all going to be looking at Royce Freeman as well. Yes. Now, Mike Kliss had tweeted out our insider in Orange Blue 760. For those maybe having very early fantasy drafts, it's still Devontae Booker as the play there, which I thought was an interesting tweet. In, in what we talked about, the dialed down contact kind of deal, mm-hmm. what, what do you think Royce can do to get on the radar or even D'Angelo Henderson to get back on the radar or a Philip Lindsay to kind of get a good impression going into camp. What can they do when there's not, let's be honest about it, they won't be breaking tackles, and we won't see how they fight off first contact because but you can see they them won't in space. be tackling. Philip Lindsay and D'Angelo Henderson have to show what they can do in space. They can show that they can be reliable options out of the backfield and they can do some explosive things when they get the football on a short pass from Case Keenum, Paxton Lynch, or Chad Kelly. Royce Freeman is an interesting case because the positive aspects of his game I don't think are going to reveal themselves really until you see full contact because he's more of a power back and I think he'll do better once all the pads get on but what you want to see from Royce Freeman right now is good decisions when you see a hole opening hit it are you make are you quick to the hole are you are you decisive in saying okay I'm taking this one cut and I'm going up field when it's there that's what you want to see from Royce Freeman, getting to the hole and making good decisions in that regard. Devontae Booker is an interesting case because he looked very good in OTAs last year when the pads weren't on. And when the pads weren't on at times uh, during early training camp of 2016, looked good then. I think the issues for Devontae Booker have come you know, more when you, you went in a full pad type situation. That's why his per carry averages so far in his career have been in the 3.5 to 3.8 range. Now, he's very effective catching passes out of the backfield, but it hasn't yet been there running the ball. He only has one run of 20 or more yards in his two seasons in the league. So I think Devontae Booker could come out of this OTA period looking great, but the test for him is going to be how he looks in training camp in the preseason. Whereas for Royce Freeman, I think what he does may not reveal itself until full pad practice in camp and full speed work in preseason. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be, I think, for the most part, fun to watch. Defensively, you know, I'd love to give you more, but we'll find out. I think, like you you just said, a lot of the defensive guys, they need to be able to tackle before they can show us what they can do with Josie Jewell, so on and so forth. Um, But it'll be... It's going to be an intriguing They can show they're in the right spot to make the tackle. They're smart. They know the play. They know the defense. And Josie Jewell in particular, there's been talk, of course, about his speed. Uh, the straight line speed at the combine wasn't very good. The, his speed on film is a bit better, but OTAs, it's all about speed and what you do in space and getting from A to B. And so I think if Josie Jewell looks fast out there, 
he's going to answer the one question that lingers about him. Because aside from that, I don't think there's a lot of questions on whether Josie Jewell can play at the next level or not. All right, so I want to bounce a question off you because we tried to have fun with this the other day. And by the way, Tuesday, the 15th is when, or the 15th, the 22nd, right, is when they're going to be on the field. It was a week from Tuesday. The 22nd, they're going to be on the field, and we're going to be able to watch them next week. So our next Horse Around podcast will include observations from an actual practice. I cannot wait. Anyway, (laughs) we were talking about a little of this on Tuesday, I guess, with, uh, Columbus and Lindahl with Tyler Columbus. So, and I stole this from a Channel 4 question, but basically Channel 4 asked which Rockies player could come back and help his team. We put within the last five years, outside of Peyton Manning, because Tyler actually gave a surprising answer about how he'd take Peyton Manning's brain and just having the right answers for everything. But that aside, if you could bring back one player from the last five years, which takes you back to 2013, who would it be? Some of the choices we threw out there were a Wes Welker, a Julius Thomas, a Louis Vasquez, a Demarcus Ware, maybe a TJ Ward, a Malik Jackson. All guys and relatively serviceable. Now it's tough because Jackson is prime, but let's just put them all in serviceable range. And I'll give you mine because I'm curious about yours. Looking at the needs of this team right now, I would lean towards Julius Thomas, but ultimately probably pick a Louis Vasquez. I mean, I remember... The job he did solidifying, and, and this is kind of funny because it would go back to the Notre Dame, the, the guard discussion, mm-hmm. uh, what can what can Quentin Nelson do for you? One of the reasons why it was okay if they would have went guard would have been, I remember Vasquez just sort of shoring up that line, taking a couple of links, being a big link in the chain, getting better out of Orlando Franklin than you had seen before. And I think on this team, if you could put him in there, and he could be your right guard like he was, I would be a little more excited than I am right now. I'm very curious and optimistic, but if you give me a Luis Vasquez back, Andrew Mason, yes, I'd Katie bar the door a little bit for the offense. How about that? That's pretty good. Now we're talking about them in their prime because if it's taking them right now, it's Malik uh, right. Jackson. No, right, exactly. That's it's a not a fair clear question. choice. But, but if you're just... taking them for what they did as Broncos let's, and replicating, yes, let's that. say their best contribution to the Broncos, Julius Thomas. See that that yeah. I brought that up to Tyler. Tyler Tyler wanted Demarcus Ware back, and I or even Malik Jackson. But I, but boy, I don't think Demarcus Ware, you'd love that presence in the locker room, but you need something more in the red zone than you've gotten the last I agree two years. With you. And the biggest thing that's been missing is the tight end, because you had it to some degree with Owen Daniels in 2015. Just go watch the AFC Championship for an example of what Owen Daniels could do when he was targeted. But the last two years at tight end in the red zone, almost bupkis. That's, see, but that's another reason why I'd go Vasquez, because I remember Vasquez, especially inside the five, he was a mauler. You, now, you had Franklin with him, but let's be honest, Vasquez and Valdir, that'd be a pretty imposing right side of your uh, line. I agree, but I think also the tight end opens things up in the red zone Believe that me, aren't I'm, there right now. And I, I think he makes Demarius better, Emmanuel better, your running game better because you're probably taking a safety out of box responsibility and having him cover the tight end on a seam route. See, what I think is interesting is you chose even Thomas over Welker. Yes. Who was his own space changer as well. But not to the effect. Welker and Thomas together were deadly. That's why yes. if you can find a way to get Deshaun Hamilton and either Jake Butter or another, I don't care if it's Jeff Hyman, whoever, if they can start changing middle-of-the-field space, you watch how this offense becomes more dynamic. And they need that because in Minnesota, who do they have? Kyle Rudolph and Adam Thielen good tight end a guy who could, who could be productive in the slot and those two guys really helped case keenum unlock 
all that he was and is as a quarterback. Someone has to identify themselves as the as the absolute reliable third down because you can remember how many times was Peyton Manning is either Welker or Thomas on third down if mm-hmm. he really needed it, wouldn't it? Easy, nice throws, move the sticks. Didn't he clinch a playoff game by throwing to Julius Thomas on a third down? Yeah, against the Chargers. Yeah, I think that was yeah. Now, that was yeah, good. now that you mention it, and he also wasn't his record-setting touchdown pass or record-breaking anyway touchdown pass to Julius Thomas against the Texans, and Wade Phillips getting a little bent about it. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. I think it was. Now, I don't think it was the record setter because he For threw a season. couple more, but yeah. he broke Brady's he, record. He broke the record on a pass to Julius Thomas. And also, don't forget, you had Joel Dreesen and Jacob Tammy in 2012. And remember Tammy catching a touchdown pass in the 2013 AFC Championship game. Tight ends. Need more from yeah, tight well, you ends. you got time to find him because Luis Vasquez was holding down the right side and making sure people oh, didn't get to Manning. You don't believe in Connor McGovern? Because I do. No, I mean, I do. But see, that's <laughs> just it. I could throw back and say you don't think we're going to see what we expect out of Jake Butt? I hope so. Okay, well, I'll throw it to you this way. Just remember that uh, Tyler Columbus predicting we're going to see Menelik Watson at guard, and he, think he, he thinks he may win the job because he doesn't think the Broncos plan on paying him $5 million just to sit on the bench. I hope they're making decisions based on who are the best players rather than oh, what the cost of their contract is. But wouldn't it make sense they'd at least look at him there? I think you take a look at him there, but I also like McGovern and what he can do. Well, I, I thought like he showed McGovern some promise too. late last year. Are you trying to turn McGovern against me? Because that's a big dude. I just like McGovern. I feel like Mizzou. you have an agenda here. Well, I did go to Mizzou at some point in my college life, and that's where McGovern went. So maybe I do uh, have a little bit of bias here. But I've also watched McGovern every snap he played in college as well. I I thought we enjoyed doing the podcast together. I see you're trying to get me off this thing by physical violence. I don't appreciate it. (laughs) Ah, yes. For all that being said, I do believe in McGovern, and I do think McGovern, I think it'd be interesting to take McGovern, you know, and have him look at center a little bit too. It would be interesting also to see Watson get some looks on the interior. It might help him. And the other thing with McGovern at center potentially down the line is what happens with Matt Paradis after this year because, of course, he signed RFA tender. He's a UFA next year. Yeah, I like Matt, too. I like Matt a lot. I like all the offensive linemen. Matt's been terrific for the Broncos. But they also are going to have to create some cap space. I think it's unfortunate that you don't like Jake Butt. I think it's going to be a shame that I have to tell him that. I really like Jake Butt for the long term, absolutely. Anyway, we'll pick this up another time. We'll talk to you next week after the first week of OTAs. For Andy Lindahl, I'm Andrew Mason. Take care.